and welcome to episode 139 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and we have quite a bit of things to get to today on this week's episode. I'll start by mentioning that we will continue with our trade deadline coverage. Another guest who's going to help us look ahead to some possibilities. Another team that I strongly believe the Rangers are engaged with and keeping an eye on is the San Jose Sharks. So we will have Shang Peng, who covers the Sharks for San Jose Hockey Now, among other places, on the show this week to talk about some of the people on that Sharks roster who might be of interest to the Rangers. So the Sharks will be a team that we dissect a bit this week when we talk to Shang in a little while. But we have a lot of other things to get to today. And there's no really other place to start than with what happened over the weekend on Sunday at MetLife Stadium. The NHL Stadium Series this year did not disappoint. Now, I watched a little bit of the Devils and Flyers on Saturday night. Seemed like a good, really engaged crowd there. I know that was an entertaining game. I know people were pretty excited about that. But when you talk about the overall entertainment and drama and excitement, nothing topped the Rangers and the Islanders on Sunday in the late afternoon. I mean, that was pretty freaking cool when you think about everything that happened in that game, everything that happened that day. Being in the stadium was really a unique, awesome experience, one that I know I won't forget. The game itself is, I guess, where we should start because it was wildly entertaining. Certainly not the cleanest hockey game we've seen. You think about the way that the Rangers played early on in that one, especially the first period, really the first two periods. They allowed 35 shots on goal in the first two periods alone. I think it was eight or nine high danger scoring chances for the Islanders in that first period. So really loose and sloppy defensively, far from a perfect game, as Peter Laviolette said afterwards, far from the tightest game that you've seen the Rangers play. But you think about how it all unraveled and the way that it ended, especially going to overtime, the Rangers coming back and scoring two goals in the final five minutes of that game to tie it and send it to overtime. And then Artemi Panarin sending the crowd into hysterics just 10 seconds into that extra period. The drama associated with that was pretty much unmatched, I would have to say, in my time covering this team. You know, we could think back on the playoff run. There were some Game 7s for sure. The magnitude of those games was completely different because the stakes were much higher. But as far as all the pomp and circumstance and hype surrounding this game, and considering that you had 80,000 people, almost, just about, it was 79,690 In that stadium, the third largest crowd ever to witness an NHL game. All of that just made this feel like such a memorable, unique occasion. And again, you look at the way the Rangers were playing in that game. And and one of the interesting things that I found in talking to some of the players afterwards, especially the last couple days, now that things have died down and I've been able to go and chat with them in some more laid back practice settings There is definitely some adjustment there when you think about the glare on the ice 
from the sun. That was an issue that caused the game to be delayed. The depth perception, I've had a couple players say to me that it really threw them off the fact that there were no fans right up against the board. And as far as things that they take for granted when it comes to puck retrieval, passing pucks, knowing where the puck is, knowing where your opponent is, judging distances, being able to do that when you're used to having fans right behind the glass versus now you have fans, in many instances, the length of a hockey rink, if not further away. I mean, a lot of them are much further away. That created, I think, some interesting different elements that the players had to adjust to on the fly. They had the one practice day there on Friday, which I think helped a little bit. But being in that game setting, that intense environment when the stands are packed like that, but everybody is significantly further away, that I think caused maybe some of the early sloppiness that we saw. It was probably one of the reasons why there were so many goals scored in that game. I think for the goalies early on, especially in that first period when the glare was still a bit of an issue, that you saw the effects of that. And you saw Igor in particular have a shaky first period where he allowed three goals. He said when we talked to him the other day that the only two people who didn't have a good time that day were him and Ilya Sorokin, the goalie for the Islanders. So he was poking a little fun at himself there, which I think shows that he's been in better spirits. And We'll get to some of his improved play. This wasn't the best start for him, but he did steady himself as that game went on. And even though I know he's not happy about giving up five goals in that game, I didn't think it was atrocious. There was really only one goal in the first period that I look at Bo Horvat off the rush, a shot that gets under Igor's, I believe it was his right arm. That's the one that I'm sure he was really kicking himself about. Other than that, though, a lot of really, again, high danger chances for the Islanders in in that game, just because it felt like early on, especially guys were adjusting to this very, very different environment that they were playing in. But the players did have really good things to say about the quality of the ice. Peter Laviolette, who's coached in five of these outdoor games now, said this was the best ice quality that he has experienced in those games. So it sounds like the NHL continues to get better at putting on these events and knowing what to do to keep the ice in the best shape possible. The players said it's not as good as you would expect in a lot of arenas, indoor arenas around the league, but it was very good, they thought, as far as the quality of outdoor ice is concerned. So there were some little hiccups as far as all that goes, and and you saw it in the play. You saw that this was far from the Rangers' best game defensively. But again, in terms of the drama, very hard to beat it. The Rangers end up going down by a score of 4-1 to one early in the second period. So they had to rally back from down by three goals, the first time that has ever happened in an outdoor game. And then they're looking at a 5-3 to three deficit with less than five minutes remaining in that game. And yet they find a way to claw themselves out of it. And Really, the stars coming through for them in the way that they did late in that game was huge. To me, if there's anything that you could look at from that game and say, "Ah, this speaks to the character of this team or this speaks to this team's ability to come through in clutch situations, seeing whether it was Vincent Trocek, who might have been the Rangers' best skater from start to finish in that game, whether it was Panarin scoring the overtime winner, Zabanajat and Kreider each coming through with power play goals in the final five minutes of regulation. Mika's came with less than a minute and a half to play 
on a power play that absolutely ignited the crowd at MetLife Stadium. That moment when Mika scored that one-timer from that tough angle down near the goal line, that was by far, I think, the loudest that that place got the entire afternoon. It felt like almost like the place was shaking. Like in Madison Square Garden, legitimately, when that place gets really loud on the bridge, which is where myself and the rest of the media sits, that really does feel like it shakes when the crowd gets really loud there. MetLife is obviously a, a much bigger place, so I can't actually say the stadium was shaking. But when I was looking around and just taking it all in, looking at people going absolutely bonkers in the crowd in celebration for the Rangers tying that game at that late juncture, it felt to me like this almost out-of-body thing where it felt like the stadium was shaking. It felt like everybody was reacting with such raw emotion in that moment. It, it was just a really, really cool thing to experience when you're looking out at this sea of people. And so that drama, that is really, really hard to beat. And, and the Rangers power play, you got to give them a ton of credit. You also have to give LaViolette a ton of credit. Because again, this was a game the Rangers very easily could have lost. Did not, by any stretch of the imagination, play their best game Strong third period, very strong finish, but the first two periods were shaky in a lot of ways. But what stood out to me, especially when you look at that power play, which had been slumping. Remember, that's been a big topic of conversation recently. The power play was 0 for 17 or whatever it was before they finally broke it with a goal last week, but still seemed to be sputtering, still was in this slump of really over a month now, where I believe they had only converted four out of 37 or something along those lines at one point. What that power play did by scoring three power play goals in that game against the Islanders was just completely go into attack mode. The urgency Every play the Rangers were playing like it was their last, whether it was Adam Fox making ridiculous plays to keep the puck in the offensive zone for the Rangers, whether it was Alexi Lafreniere getting physical in the corner and digging pucks out and keeping it alive for the Rangers, whether it was the way that they were whipping it around and everybody was crashing the net for rebounds. And then that was starting to open up some of those seam passes and some of that puck movement that we know they're capable of when that power play is at its best. All of that came together for the Rangers on those especially last couple power plays. And the Islanders gift-wrapped them a couple penalties late in that game that allowed the Rangers to make that comeback. But the Rangers, when it came down to it, executed. You had Kreider getting a tip on a Panarin shot to cut it to 5-4. to four. And then you had that sequence where if you go back and watch that replay, so many people made important plays leading up to that one-timer from Mika, whether it was Lafreniere, whether it was Panarin, whether it was Fox who made the no-look pass that set up Zabanajad for the one-timer. That play was one of the plays that, that will go down as most memorable this season, no doubt about it, for the Rangers. So all of that, those things came together in those moments. The big guys stepped up in the big moments. The power play, you hope at least, snapped out of its slump. They didn't look great on the power play in the following game against Dallas. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I think this just goes to show that when you play like your hair is on fire, when you have that urgency with the power play, that is when everything seems to kind of unlock itself. So that's where they need to dig deep, I think, and, and do more of. And that was a topic that LaViolette talked about even the next day that he felt like was the biggest key with that power play was they were just pushing it. 
They were in attack mode. They were hunting. And that enabled them to come through with those incredible moments at the end of that game. And then you have Artemi Panarin right off the faceoff. The Rangers win that faceoff to begin overtime. The Islanders take the puck right back, but there's a turnover right in front of the Islanders' net. And then Panarin finishes the goal to, again, send the crowd crazy. Not quite as crazy as they were with the Mika goal because when Panarin scored, the goal actually came off one post. And so I think there was a little bit of trepidation in the crowd with people wondering, is that goal going to count? But quite clearly, the goal should have counted. It did count. And so the Rangers get this epic 6-5 to comeback win. So the game itself, again, outrageously entertaining. And then you just consider the spectacle of it all. And to be honest with you, especially from my seat in the press box, it is not the best viewing experience, I would say, at a lot of these outdoor games. You're much further away from the ice than you're used to being in your typical 20,000-person arena like MSG. So from that standpoint, it's probably not the best viewing experience, although a lot of people said to me that this they felt like is much better because a football stadium is pretty much even all the way around. It's kind of a perfect circle with no obstructions around to, to get in your way. So I think it's better than a baseball stadium, for example, in that regard. But again, you're still much further from the ice than you're used to being. And for the people that were sitting outside, luckily I did not have to sit outside, it was pretty cold. The temperatures were only high 30s, but the wind was whipping around, When I, at least when I was outside. The wind was really intense and definitely bitter and cold. So kudos to everybody who braved it and, and sat through that. And it didn't seem to deter anybody because... I was looking around to see if there were spots where there were empty seats. I had heard in the lead up, I think more so with the Devils Flyers game than the Rangers Islanders, but I had heard in the lead up that there weren't necessarily sellouts coming and that maybe they were having trouble getting rid of some tickets in certain parts of the stadium and that kind of a thing. But this place looked like it was packed to the brim. And again, the viewing experience is not really what this is about. You still were able to tell what was going on on the ice. And obviously, MetLife Stadium has those four big screens. So being able to look up and follow the action on those screens when you need to, and especially when you want to see a replay, that's very helpful as well. But it's not going to be the intimate, right on top of the ice experience that you're going to get if you're sitting behind the glass or close up in your standard hockey arena. But again, that's not what this is about. This was about the tailgating, and the parking lots were packed. Before the game, hours before the game, you could see so many fans out there having a good time, and, and that's all part of the experience. That's a great part of this. I love that about going to football games, to be honest with you. I'd much rather usually watch a football game on TV at home, but if I'm going to go, I want to do the whole experience. I want to get the tailgate in. I want to cook. I want to have some beers. I want to hang out with my friends outside, throw a ball around, whatever it might be. And a lot of people seem to be really enjoying that part of it. This experience was about everything leading up to the game. And you see the entrances from both teams, especially from the Rangers, who I think went the extra mile when it came to trying to do what they could to honor the fire department of New York, the police department of New York and enter 
on the fire trucks and get off walking with the firefighters and the police officers wearing their uniforms that they wear when they play in their FDNY or NYPD hockey games and walking in with them and bringing the Stephen McDonald family with them. So very classy touch. It sounds like Jacob Truba and Anders Lee, the captain for the Islanders, got together and discussed this as an idea. So that was a classy gesture, and that certainly added to the New York theme of the event. Again, stadium was filled to the brim. Even looking up to the tippy-top seats, it looked like there were people all the way up. I was having trouble finding any empty seats at all. And in talking to the players, I remember Vincent Trocek saying this after the game, he thought one of the most awe-inspiring things was when he would be sitting on the bench in between shifts and take a moment to look up. And he said it felt like there were people a mile above his head. So that is, when you think about that, think about the perspective from being on the ice as a player and you look up and you see people that high above you looking all the way down on you following this little black puck from that far away. I mean, that's got to be a goosebump kind of a feeling for the players for sure. And then the passion and enthusiasm oozing from the crowd, whether it was the Rangers who scored or the Islanders who scored, they would play their goal song and the whole stadium would sing it together, or at least obviously the fans of that team. The reactions and the oohs and the ahs and the celebrations when they would score goals or a big play would happen. And I have to say, about 75% of that place, at least it looked like to me from judging what color jersey everybody was wearing, about 75% of that place, I would say, were Rangers fans. So Rangers fans won the day not only with the final result of the game, but I did feel like they showed up in larger numbers when you looked around at that crowd. And all of this, I believe, was very meaningful for the players. This was something these guys are going to take with them for the rest of their careers. Artemi Panarin said after the game, he was so overwhelmed by it that he was actually holding back tears. And the whole pregame festivity, they roll out the big American flag. You have the fighter jets flying overhead. You have this packed stadium. You have all the pomp and the circumstance. It was just, it was one of those things where would I want to watch every single game that way? No, but to have that special occasion, to have those special moments like that, very, very cool. Got to give some credit to the NHL. They've really, I think, maybe not we perfected this, although I don't think I have any obvious criticisms or obvious areas where I think they could do things better, but they've gotten really good at putting on these events. Obviously the outdoor games have been a hit for them. Obviously they draw a lot of eyeballs. And I think that was another big takeaway for me from this is just how many people around this New York, New Jersey region seem to be buzzing about this and talking about this, even getting into my car the next day and I don't spend a whole ton of time listening to sports talk radio, but I'll check in every now and then. And it's extremely rarely on a station like WFAN or ESPN are you going to hear them talking hockey, but everything seemed to be hockey talk the next day. And even walking around in the grocery store, hearing people talk about it. My uncle called me because he got into an Uber ride and his Uber driver, the first thing he brought up was, hey, did you see that game last night? And so it just felt like the whole region came together, got really excited about this. A, a really great day for the Rangers, obviously, but also a really good day for hockey. I think you had people that typically wouldn't watch these games 
locked in on everything that was happening. This was like a, a big event for somebody who's probably not going to watch most of the 82 regular season games, but they made this a point of sitting down and watching that. I even had my mother-in-law texting me from Maryland saying, hey, we're flipping channels and we're on ABC and, and the Rangers are playing and they're outside. This is pretty cool. So you have things like that. Now, some people might want to say, get off my lawn. The hardcore hockey fans might look at this and be like, oh, well, we don't need these people that don't really know the game and they're just casual fans coming in. And I get it. You, you guys are going to have 81 other games this regular season pretty much all to yourselves. But for this moment, for this event, I think it was pretty cool. And you never know. I do believe that these type of things can spur people to take on bigger interest in the in the game or bigger interest in the teams and begin to learn more. And, you know, for the sake of people like me, hopefully start to read more and engage more in the content because it is an amazing sport. It's obviously fourth in the pecking order in this country, but it is such a fun sport to watch, such a fun sport to cover, so many different storylines and, and cool parts about it if you dig in on it. I do believe that the league can do a better job of promoting some of its personalities, and I do believe that the league can do a better job when it comes to information sharing, and there's a lot of criticisms I have in that regard. But the more people who are interested in this sport, the more of that stuff I think is going to become feasible. And so getting an event like that is awesome for the sport. It was definitely awesome for the Rangers and it was a really, really cool day to be a part of. I hope you guys all enjoyed it as well, whether you were there. And if you were there, I'd love to hear some of your stories about what you thought of the event. Or even if you were watching on TV, I've been asking people about that. How was the viewing experience? And it sounds like most people who watched on TV really enjoyed it and thought it was well done as well. So, so many different things to come out of that game, including the storyline of Matt Rempe, which is another thing I certainly want to touch on here because I have to give a reader credit, and I should have checked this before I went on here because I, I knew I was probably going to mention this and I forgot to check it. But there was somebody who sent me a note on Twitter about Sunday that if Matt Rempe got to make his NHL debut in that game, we were all talking about how that would make him the first player in NHL history to make his debut in an outdoor game, which in and of itself is a really cool story. But I also got a tip from a reader that that would also mark the sixth anniversary of Rempe's father passing away. So when we had that big scrum at MetLife Stadium with Rempe on Friday, when it became clear he was probably going to play, nobody asked about that because I don't think anybody knew about that. I didn't know about it at the time. But then I saw that tweet from a reader on Friday night, and then I knew I was going to practice on Saturday, I made a point of going up to Rempe in the more kind of calm practice setting after all the hoopla of the day before and asking him about it. And he was very open about it, happy to talk about it. I think very happy to honor his father's memory in that way. And it was emotional, certainly talking to him about that. He definitely got choked up a few times, but it was also really cool. I was really happy to be able to shine at least a little bit of light on the influence that his father had on him, on what him making his debut on that specific date meant to his family. He had his mother and his two sisters make the trip in to see him. He said his mother was bawling that morning once it was confirmed for sure that he was going to play. And then what does the kid do? I mean, talking to him in the lead up to that game, 
I don't know if I've ever seen a prospect who's about to make his debut. They're all excited, obviously, but I don't think I've ever seen somebody who was that amped up just talking a mile a minute and all smiles and using words like, oh, I'm juiced up. I'm, so, you know, he was just so you could tell eyes wide and just wanted to throw his nose right in there and, and play that second if he could. He was a ball of energy, a six foot eight ball of energy. And you saw it then right off the bat. The cool story that he told me after the game is that warmups, He's skating around. He called it patrolling, which I thought was great. And he said that in that moment during warmups, he all of a sudden locked eyes with Matt Martin, a 13-year veteran for or maybe more than 13 years. I know he's 13 years older than Rempe for the Islanders, a guy who's been through his share of fights, a guy who certainly is pretty tough and can hold his own when the gloves drop. And Rempe said he knew in that moment that it was probably going to go down. And then Rempe lines up for his first faceoff. Martin's across from him. Martin said, congratulations on making your NHL debut. Do you want to go? And Rempe said, hell yeah. And so they went and Rempe showed you why he's a feared fighter in the AHL. Johnny Brodzinski was telling me before that game that dudes in the AHL already have gotten to the point where they just don't want to mess with this guy because of those long arms and because of how fierce he is in those fighting situations. So Rempe held his own. It wasn't a a completely one-sided fight, but I definitely thought he got the better of it. You could see that Martin had a little bit of a cut or a little bit of a mark under one of his eyes after that fight. Then Rempe starts waving his arms and pumping up the crowd and goes to the penalty box. I mean, what a cool moment for him. A guy who, quite frankly... You know, there's some limitations as far as his prospect status is concerned. This is a guy who I think has a chance to make it as a fourth liner. But beyond that, you know, his attributes are that he's going to hit you. He's going to play with a lot of toughness. He's going to be willing to throw down. He's going to bring some of that intimidation factor. I know that's considered a thing of the past in a lot of ways. But this is a guy who has, in large ways, earned his way to the NHL level because His teammates love him because he brings that energy and because he brings that toughness and that willingness to stand up for his teammates. And so if he's going to carve out a role with the Rangers, that is certainly going to be part of it. And and he kicked his career off by doing just that. Didn't play a ton of minutes in that game, less than five minutes in total ice time, but still an incredibly memorable debut for him, especially when you consider the tragic death of his father that happened when he was only 15 years old. He told me his father was outside of their house in Calgary shoveling snow and had a heart attack. I mean, just really, really sad, sad stuff. So for him to get that kind of a moment and mark the anniversary of his father's passing in that way, really, really couldn't write it up any better. So I appreciate Matt for being willing to tell that story and talk about it so openly and certainly was happy to see him get to share that moment with his family. So We could go on and on and on talking about all the different stuff to come out of the stadium series. There was a lot of it, as you can tell, but there are other things I want to get to. And the Rangers have played another game since that stadium series. They came out and got a 3-1 to win over the Dallas Stars on Tuesday at Madison Square Garden. And that win was important for a couple reasons. First and foremost, it continued this eight-game winning streak which is now the longest winning streak the Rangers have had since the 2015-2016 season. So they're able to continue riding that momentum. But it also avoided that letdown that I think 
both Laviolette and a lot of the players were very conscious of. They knew that they were coming off of this emotional high on Sunday in that win over the Islanders. And so there was this fear that maybe they'd be a little burnt out or maybe they wouldn't get off to the start that they wanted against Dallas. But it was quite the opposite. I thought they came out flying. And give Rempe and Adam Edstrom and that fourth line some credit because they were throwing bodies early in that game. The Rangers had 15 hits in the first period alone. And I know, listen, hits aren't ever going to tell the story of the game, but I just thought the Rangers came out with a a heavy-handed, physical, fast-paced mindset in that game, and it showed that they were certainly there to play against a very formidable opponent in the Dallas Stars who are currently sitting in first place in the Central Division in the Western Conference. So the Rangers come out with the right mindset in that game, and then really the two key players I thought in that game were, number one, Capo Caco, who's riding a five-game point streak. This is a guy that we've criticized quite a bit this season, certainly not having the season that anyone hoped for him. But in my mind, playing his best hockey recently, the confidence with him, it's so obvious, I think, when he is feeling good about himself, which he clearly is right now, and he's assertive, and he's hunting for pucks, and he's controlling pucks in the offensive zone and moving it around quickly without hesitation, shooting without hesitation, just seems to be playing very freely. And even defensively, I thought a couple plays where he backtracked really hard and got back into the defensive zone to make sure that he covered up back there, that stood out to me. So a guy who, when he's feeling good about himself, you can tell it because he just looks like he has extra jump in his step versus when he's not feeling good about himself, I think you can tell because He's much more invisible out there. He doesn't seem to be skating as quickly. He seems to be much less decisive. And and he's not having the puck on his stick very often. So what a change we've seen from him recently. And he's thriving right now. And he scores what turns out to be the game-winning goal to give the Rangers a brief 2-0 lead to quickly turn to 2-1. So very important goal from Kako there. And the shot in a tight little window over the right shoulder, over the blocker hand of Scott Wedgwood, the Stars goalie, fit it into a little keyhole spot right there and put the Rangers in the driver's seat of that game. A critical goal for Kako and a guy who is feeling really good about himself right now. And I wrote about this the other day. I sat with him and talked at his locker about the trade rumors that have been out there, which you know we've talked about on this podcast. I haven't really been buying them, and especially now – that Blake Wheeler is out for the season. I'm definitely not buying them. I believe that Kaka will be here for the remainder of the season. So I got his thoughts on that, and and I thought he had some interesting comments there. So check that one out at loha.com slash sports slash Rangers if you get the chance. And then the other big thing to come out of that win over the Stars was Igor Shesterkin. So that he was able to come through for the Rangers in that game, especially after what he felt like was a disappointing showing in the stadium series and the saves that he made at the end of that game, especially a pair of saves on Tyler Sagan right in front of the Rangers net. I mean, I still can't wrap my mind around how exactly Igor stopped that shot. First one with his skate, second one as he's falling back, reaching out with his stick and made both of those saves to preserve what at the time was a two to one lead for the Rangers ends up with 41 saves in that game. 
Two of his last three starts now have been excellent if you factor in last week's shutout win against Calgary. So Igor now building some momentum as well. So Kako and Igor were my two biggest takeaways, I would say, from that game. And now we look ahead to Thursday. Rangers traveling to New Jersey to play the Devils, and they've got another big game on their hands here. The Devils are scrounging, scratching and clawing, trying to keep themselves in this playoff race. And we know that there's the bad blood there stemming from the first round playoff exit that the Rangers had at the Devils' hands last season. So with all of that, I've talked around quite a bit of stuff right now. (laughs) I think it's time to get to our interview with Shang because this has been a long opening segment, and I don't want to make you wait any longer for that. So let's talk a little trade deadline now. Let's talk about the San Jose Sharks and whether they might line up as a possible trade partner with the Rangers. Now let's welcome back to the show. I believe this is his second appearance. He covers the San Jose Sharks for San Jose Hockey Now and NBC Sharks. He's a guy who actually reached out to me the other day because he wanted to jump on the phone and talk a little bit about some possibilities and pick my brain about the Rangers. And the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? This could be a fun conversation for the podcast. So we're going to welcome Shang Peng into the show right now, and we're going to talk a little trade possibilities between the Rangers and the Sharks. So Shang, how are you doing, man? Uh, pretty good. Actually, I think this is going to be my first uh, uh, public appearance on the show because I, if I remember correctly, a couple of years ago, we talked about Tomas Sherdo and then he might have been re-signed by the time uh, <laughs> yes. you were going to air the show or something like that. So, that's, Oh, that's uh, right. In the archives. <laughs> that is right. Wow, I forgot about it. I knew I had you on, but now that you, now that you mentioned it, we had talked about the possibility of a hurdle trade, and then they signed him like the next day or something like yeah. that. That's funny. I forgot about that. Wow. Uh, all right. Well, so I'm glad everyone will actually get to hear you this time. Uh, we'll because- see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, we're still two days away from post. This, so I shouldn't <laughs> let's keep our fingers crossed there. But uh assuming that a trade doesn't get made in the next couple of days, or even if it does, there are quite a few, I think, intriguing possibilities when you look at the Rangers and the Sharks. And the obvious connection there is Chris Drury and Mike Greer, the GM sure. for the Sharks. They go back to their time together at BU. They were teammates there. We know that Drury thinks highly of them. He hired him during his first season with the Rangers as team president to work under him. The next year, Greer gets hired by San Jose. So we know that there's a lot of connections there. We know that there's some possibilities there. And we know that the Sharks, being where they are in the standings, are one of the teams that looks like they are going to be a clear seller. So they're one of the teams I think the Rangers have had an eye on for a long time. I don't think there are necessarily any big names available, like a guy like Hurdle, who we talked about last time. Obviously, he's signed to that long-term extension now. So I don't know if there are any names that are really going to you know, make big headlines if it were to happen. But I think there are some depth pieces, particularly the up front at forward where we know the Rangers are looking. And so I wanted to just pick your brain, kind of we'll start open-ended there. A lot of UFAs. Who are going to be <laughs> a lot? Yeah, whose contracts are expiring <laughs> this summer for the Sharks. So the Rangers are a team that we know probably top of the list is looking for some help at center. But we know mm-hmm. also now, given Blake Wheeler likely being out for the remainder of the season, and even before that, really, they're also in the market for a right winger. So when you think about centers, when you think about right wingers, what might the Sharks have that you think would be available and appealing? 
Uh, well, they also have a couple of guys that are under contract next year, but not sure if the Rangers can afford them. But up the middle, you have uh, Mikhail Granlund. He's making uh, $5 million uh, next year, though, which could be a little pricey, but it's just one more year of that. And he has been very productive this year. The other guy that they have is Nico Sturm. Nico Sturm is making $2 million next year, and his contract is, af- is cut after that. And he, of course, won a, a Stanley Cup with the Carl Avalanche as the 4C. So that's a guy that would be perfect for uh, contending team's bottom six. Uh, on the wing, they have plenty of guys, but I don't know how many guys you, you want from this group because they've all had very tough seasons. Uh, Anthony Duclair, Alexander Barabanov, Kevin LeBanc, Mike Hoffman. I think probably the most appealing of them all is probably going to be Duclair. Duclair has shown the most kind of pop of all those guys this season. Um, his skating is still there. That's what everybody tells me. That's what I see out there, too. And that's sort of Anthony's uh, uh, Duke's trademark. So if he's got that, then he can help your team in some capacity. Also, too, uh, Duke has helped uh, he was with the Panthers last year in the Stanley Cup final run so he's a guy that has a little bit of that playoff experience that you know what you're going to get from him in the playoffs and his uh, ticket isn't too expensive too he is going to be UFA at three million dollars AAV so he's not too bad yeah and we know the Rangers have some extra cap space it looks like they're going to have over five million available because of the fact that they have Philip Heedle and Wheeler on LTIR. So that gives them some flexibility. And I I do think you mentioned those two centers who are under contract for next year as well. I do think for a change, whereas in recent years, the Rangers have been so cap strapped that they haven't been able to consider taking on salary for the following season, which is why we've always seen them chase after rentals this year. It's a little bit more feasible. Now, One of the things I think they would like to add is a little more five-on-five offensive punch. And Mm. when we're talking about centers, if I'm just looking at the point totals, obviously there's not a whole lot of point totals on this roster that jump out at you. But of the the active guys, Brandlin is the leading scorer with 31 points in 42 games. Now, I've heard from people around the league that at previous stops – work ethic. There were some questions there. There was just questions about whether or not they were maximizing the potential of a guy who is believed to be pretty talented. But I've also heard David Quinn say some pretty good things about him. And again, he is the leading scorer on a roster that otherwise really does not have a lot going for it right now. So tell us a little bit about Granlin because 5 million would be a little bit hefty, I think, for them for next year. It's not out of the question, but it seems like he might be the most valuable guy of those names that you mentioned. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, uh, he's, he's somebody that I, I, I've never seen any issue with his work ethic. I mean, I think uh, he's come in. He's been a model leader. I mean, the proof isn't a pudding. Uh, the Sharks just lost uh, Tomas Hurdo and Logan Couture to injury. That's their captain and alternate captain. And they named Luke Cunning and Mikhail Granlin as their alternate captains, along with Mario Ferraro. Now, that's uh, Granlin, who's only been here for, what, five months or whatever, and they're already giving him an A. So I think that says a lot about sort of what they think about him and how he, he's been helping out the, the younger players. I think his issues in previous stops, I don't know if it's been work ethic as in maybe more like acclimating. So I think that is going to be a challenge that does sort of lower his trade value. And then we talk about lowering his trade value, then it comes to a point where for the Sharks, it's like, well, why do we need to trade this guy? Then he's been good for us. He's been a great leader. So there's there's there has to be sort of a kind of a happy medium there where the Sharks feel like they're getting enough. Uh, but of course you had to build in the fact that he has been traded at a couple of trade deadlines uh, a few years ago from Minnesota to Nashville. And then last year from Nashville to Pittsburgh and both times the, his play right after the trades uh, have not been good. Um, there's a reason why, of course, over the summer, he was considered a cap dump in Eric Carlson trade. Uh, no one wanted that contract. Everyone thought that 
Ron Hextall paid through the nose, uh, second round pick, uh, floor of Granlin paid too much for him. Uh, but uh, when he's on his game and he has been on his game with the Sharks, uh, he's a guy that while he's small and that's not ideal for a centerman, he plays big, always plays big. Uh, he's good two way, very, uh, uh, very conscientious, both, both ways uh, of, of the ice. And he's, he's creative. Um, as you can see with sort of his point total on a team that he's lacking a lot of wingers <laughs> and he's still managing to put up a, a pretty, a pretty nice season all in all. Um, so I think the entire package of Granlin is very attractive, but there are of course uh, some of those risks, like I mentioned, um, like I said, he hasn't been acclimated. Well, he is expensive. He is on a smaller side too. And he's also a little bit older too, 31. So, um, so those are, those are some of the limiting factors too. Now the Rangers would be looking for a third line type of guy. And I think obviously mm -hmm. he would be an upgrade for them at that position. I know this is somewhat of a guessing game, but as far as price tag that the Sharks would be looking for, especially considering this is a guy who has a year and a half of team control. Any guesses on that? You know, <clears throat> I've, I've talked with, with, with some people and I, I feel like the, like, like teams will not give enough uh, for the Sharks to, to, to move him because they're not looking to move him as from, for, as far as I understand it, it's, it's not like they're shopping him. Like I said, they're very, very happy with him. Um, and it's not just uh, it's not just like coach speak or whatever. When you give a guy an A after five months there, you like a guy. <laughs> you know, that's that's a real tangible thing that you're saying that we like this guy. And so. Um, so, yeah. So I, I don't think they're looking to to, to trade him. I think uh, if someone is willing to to pay more than you should over market, then 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 uh, then they think about it. And so I think that that's sort of in the situation where maybe now I don't know exactly, but with Nashville last year, right, like. Um, it seems like Pittsburgh paid paid too high a price, and so that's the kind of thing where I don't know if the Rangers are willing to meet that price still. So I don't know if uh, Granlund checks enough of the boxes for the for the Rangers to uh, to kind of uh, overpay. I will say though that having a guy like that as your third line center, I mean that's pretty much as ideal as you can get in so far as you want somebody that can play up in a pinch, and a guy like that can definitely play. If you have an injury or a guy in a playoffs, your your two C has to miss a game or two, like. Granlin is definitely good enough to 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 fill cover uh, for that guy for for a long stretch. So Pittsburgh paid a second round pick last year. Is that basically what you think it would take? Oh boy, you know, I actually don't don't know if that that would be enough to be honest. Just because uh, the Sharks really like him, and I think too that his value could actually be higher next year when he is expiring. So. I, it might it might be the 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 the, the right uh, kind of the right area um, in terms of what they think about, but and I know that when we talk talking more than a second, like a second and a prospect, then we're really kind of uh, talking about an overpayment for a guy who, like I said, is older. A lot of limiting factors, like I mentioned, so I don't want to oversell the guy. Uh, but um, it, he is a center too, so let's not forget that. And like you mentioned, it's a you know, it's a kind of a barren market out there for for centers. So um, so I, I think it's kind of uh, if a team sort of is desperate enough and they'll and they'll pay more. And so maybe that's that is kind of con the, the kind of conversation that that can kind of start to make it work though when you start talking about like a second or a prospect. But I would say that is a little speculative. And um, also too, like I said, his value to the team is 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 high too. So. Yeah, I, I just, you know, thinking in my own head, I, I really have not heard his name connected to the Rangers a whole bunch. Mm -hmm. But thinking in my own head, I know the Rangers have been sniffing around on Adam Henrique from the Anaheim Ducks. And sure. from what, I, what I've heard, the going rate there is a first round pick, and that's a pure rental. So a guy like Granlund, who 
maybe I guess in some ways wouldn't be as appealing as Henrique just for the rest of the season, knowing you'd also have him next season. If you can get him for a second, you know, that might be something that I feel like at least some teams would find appealing considering what we've seen first round picks go for so far this trade deadline season. You know, the guy though, that I think probably makes more sense and, and might be, be a guy you could connect to the Rangers a little bit more as far as those centers is Sturm because Mm -hmm. his salary is only $2 million for next season. And you mentioned him being a bottom six center on a cup winning Colorado team. So tell us a little bit about him. Well, Nico is one of those guys where uh, it's always all effort. Um, He's big. He's uh, he's uh, he's physical. Uh, not enough so physical as it's like he'll put your head through the wall kind of physical, but like he will skate through stuff. He'll go through the dirty areas. He'll take punishment to to make plays. Um, so I, I think that he's a model of 4C. Uh, one of the, the things I like about him, um, it makes him such a great example for the Sharks players, is he's the kind of guy that if he gets tripped or whatever, right, on a play, he just is up. He doesn't stop. He doesn't look at the ref. He's just skating hard to to rejoin the play. There's never never kind of uh, kind of any kind of uh, turning off of the motor. So I think that's the best way to describe his game. Uh, the motor is always running in his game, and so I think that he obviously is a, a for that sense is a great fit for a lot of teams and can make a big impact on somebody's uh, uh, fourth line. Uh, again, though, like like Granlund, though, uh, I don't think they're actively looking to to trade him. And he is another guy, too, uh, because of what he brings in terms of intangibles um, that 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 they're not looking to just to sell him. You know, like guy like we'll get to maybe we'll get to a Duclair. He's expiring. I don't know if there's plans for him beyond this year. And so that's that's a guy that like. You know, take what you can get, kind of. But Sturm, I think that that they might be looking for more. And again, uh, overpayment for a guy that is uh, is a four C uh, on 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 a good team. And so you don't want to overpay for that. But obviously, there is value in there too. And there are other teams too that would want a guy like that at that spot at that price too. Yeah, yeah, I I do think that there would be some appeal there because another thing we talked about. One of the elements they're looking for is some five-on-five offense. But another thing that might even be higher on their priority list is getting guys with that high motor who play that playoff style of hockey. Mm-hmm. You, I, I don't want to necessarily use grit because it's thrown out there all the time, but they want a guy who's going to not be afraid to stick his nose into some dirty situations and play hard and, and forecheck his you-know-what off and defend really hard. They want all of those elements, I think, infused into this lineup. And he's a guy who would have some appeal there. The Point total is very low, only eight points through 36 games played for him. So he's not a guy I think they'd be willing to pay a whole lot for. But I do think that adding some depth down the middle, that could be appealing. But let's get to Duclair, because I think that's the name that I've heard connected to the Rangers the Mm -hmm. most. And you touched on it, that of those wingers on expiring contracts, there's the most upside there. And we talk about playoff grit. We talk about five on five scoring. And then the third thing I think the Rangers would like to check off is increasing the team's speed. And Mm. from what I understand, Duclair is one of the fastest, if maybe you tell me, maybe the fastest player on that roster on the wing. And I, I believe he's third on the team in goals, 11 goals I'm reading right now. So on another team with some more talent around him, it's, I think, reasonable to conclude that that goal total might be even higher. So tell us a bit about Duclair. 
Yeah, uh, I think I think he probably is the fastest shark uh, on the wing, at least at least uh, at least right now uh, on on the NHL club. And uh, yeah, I, I, I he is the one guy. I mean, all the guys that we mentioned, the LeBanc, the Hoffmans, um, Barabanos, they have they have they all have track record. Duclair has track record too, obviously, of being a scorer. But I think that uh, from what we've seen of all these guys, I think that there is the most sort of hope or thought with Duclair that you just put him on a better situation, he'll be better. And his game is sort of pure. Speed. I think the question with Duclair is his limiting factor is that there isn't much of a game beyond that speed. And so if it's he's in a game uh, where other things are happening and he can't kind of impact it with his speed, then it, then his, his impact may be muted in a game like that. But if there's a, a game or a moment or a shift where that speed, you know, there's a chance for him to use that speed, uh, then that, that can obviously be a difference maker uh, in, in, in a playoff game. And so, yeah, and so he's a guy that I've, I've heard a lot of heat around. I actually was surprised, to be honest, that when I started checking in on this stuff because he hasn't had a, a great year. Um, and so I thought that he would be along the lines of a Hoffman, a LeBanc, and a Barabanov where the Sharks might be looking at much lower offers than they hope than at the beginning of the season. But I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that, that like a third could be possible. I've, some people even told me a second, which I think is crazy myself, but <laughs> but. I've I've heard of that, and I would say that the one thing that does that does make something like this possible is that there are a lot of teams looking for a guy like a Duclair, you know, a supplementary scorer type that has brings a very tangible kind of element, which is his speed to to your team, and uh, he's relatively inexpensive. His cap hit three million AAV is not too bad, so you may be able to acquire him with or without retention. If the Sharks retain, maybe that that does actually help kind of grease the wheels to get somebody's late second. Yeah, I mean, his price tag, the Rangers, I think, could take him on without needing the Sharks to retain, mm -hmm. depending on what else they do, because I, I think ideally they'd like to add two forwards. And I also wonder about the possibility with the Sharks, could there be a two-forward swap? I think it would have to be a center and a winger. So w one of the possibilities that was floated to me would be Sturm and Duclair. Could the Rangers pull something like that off without really having to give up that first-round pick? Could they do it for... They don't have any third round picks, so that puts mm -hmm. them for the next couple of years, actually. So that puts them in a tough spot there because it's really a fourth or a second. But you package a prospect in there, you know, could maybe something come to fruition along those lines? I think for the Rangers, when you're talking about the high price tags that are out there for guys like Henrik, who would be a solid addition for them, but is he really worth a first round pick? Mm -hmm. I, I think looking at a team like the Sharks where maybe you could give up a mid-round pick and a prospect, or, or maybe talk about that second-round pick if it's a, a multiplayer deal, there might be a little more appeal to that because you don't feel like you're giving up one of your prime assets and you could potentially address multiple needs. So that's one of the things that comes to mind for me when I think about the Sharks and the Rangers. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, it really looked, I mean, going back to the center conversation, it really depends on how you look at Granlin's ex extra year. For some teams, that might be like, no, I, we don't like the guy that much that we we want to pay him $5 million the next year. But it's, for some teams, though, if you like the guy enough, then that actually becomes a, not a bargain, but it becomes like a fair market value. Like, that's not a bad deal for a guy that um, is capable of putting up 50 points or so and playing two ways and 20 minutes a night and all that kind of stuff like Granlin can. Um, and so it really just depends on how much they like that particular player. A guy like Henrik obviously brings other uh, sort of assets that Granlin doesn't like his size and, and that sort of thing. And also Henrik has gone on longer runs with, well, the dev a long time ago, but still he did go, go on runs like that. And so there might be sort of a, uh, 
uh, that sort of appeal with with Henry that makes it more maybe more appetizing for for the for the playoffs. But again, it just really depends on how you look at Granlin's year because uh, or Granlin as a, as a player and that extra contract because for, again, for some teams that five million next year is a is a plus. You you can fit that in. You know how you know you, you know where you can fit that in. And for other teams, it's a minus. It's hard to say. I'm not sure what the Rangers how they see Granlin. I'm curious. Last thing I want to ask you of those next wingers that we haven't talked about after Duclair, whether it's Hoffman, whether it's LeBanc, whether it's Barbanov. LeBanc is an interesting one to me because a few years ago, I believe the Sharks gave him a pretty nice extension. He looked like a mm-hmm. real solid piece of their core and, and he's dropped off quite a bit. I know he dealt with at least one injury this season. So he's a guy I'm wondering kind of what happened with him, but of those next wave of guys, Based on what we've talked about, the Rangers needing, do any of them you think make any kind of sense? Um, depends on your 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 needs. Like I like the Barabanov. I think has the most potential of sort of um, if you surround him with better players. This year he hasn't been able to play too much as much with a Hurdle or a Couture, which he has been able to do the last three years. And so Barabanov has proven in the past at least to be a pretty good complementary winger. He's the kind of guy that he's small, but he's kind of sneaky, strong, kind of a puck possession guy. Can hold on to the puck uh, down low, make moves. Uh, make make crafty plays down low. So if you have the right guy to put with him, I think he could be a kind of a nice buy low opportunity there. And it's also his contract, two point five million AAV, is also something that most teams can can fit in. Uh, the problem when we talk about LeBanc and Hoffman is they make so much that the Sharks will have to retain to move those guys probably. Um, Hoffman's at four point five, LeBanc's at four point seven two five, and the the thing is that only they only have one retention spot. So because they're using other retention spots on Carlson and Burns. So so for them to use a retention spot, then they got to be kind of getting something, I don't know, good back, I think, right? And they might get something better back for a Duclair, for a Kakanen, uh, somebody else that's more desirable where that extra retention, extra money really greases the wheels for a much, you know, much nicer pick. Whereas you you trade a Bank and Hoffman, you're not going to get much back of anything at, at all, I think. And so anyway, of those guys, I would say Barabanov probably is the most potential, but just if they're only if the Rangers have sort of the right, uh, right fit guy. Uh, in terms of LeBanc, uh, LeBanc, I think is more somebody uh, for a team for next year to look at. Um, next year, uh, he's obviously going to be a USA, and he's a guy that I think that it had, just hasn't really worked with him. And I think this is one word, just him and Quinn, just, it just hasn't worked. And I'm not exactly sure why it hasn't worked, but just it really hasn't. And it's not one of those, you know, Quinn likes skilled players. He, he got 100 points out of Eric Carlson. So it's not one of those kind of things, right? But just for whatever reason, uh, just, it just hasn't, it hasn't really, really worked out itself, especially this year. This year has been rough. Uh, LeBanc has been pretty much uh, playing uh, third, fourth line minutes, hasn't got a sniff at, at, at a higher line. But anyway, I think LeBanc is a guy that's primed. He's just 28 um, when he's on his game. So even last year, he had a really nice stretch of 23 points, 29 games in 29 games when he's playing with uh, Tommy Hurdle and uh, Timo Meyer. And so he's still capable of some very good, productive hockey. And he's a guy that I see that you can sign at, uh, I don't know, very minimum or something like that over the summer and put him on a power play. You know, kind of a power play specialist guy. And, and he can pop in maybe 30 points for you at, 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 at a minimum veterans minimum, which is going to be a, a great asset to somebody, some contender out there. I think a good comp uh, for you to look at is like a Stefan Nason. Uh, Stefan Nason, Hurricane signed him to a two-year contract at a, at a veterans minimum. They play him 12 minutes a night. They give him power play time, though. 
Yeah, he's averaging half a point a game the last two years for them. So I think that kind of, I think he has that kind of potential. So just uh, keep a lookout for that over the summer, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think right now with a four point seven million dollar yeah no. AAV, <laughs> yeah that might that might be a little rich for them. I think Duclair and and, and maybe Barabanov, like you said, I mean there is some appeal there, and and he's only at two point five million, so obviously that's more affordable. So so those are guys that that maybe could factor into the equation. Again, you look at this roster, and it seems like. Hurdle's on injured reserve right now anyway, and it seems like pretty much anybody else could potentially be available in the right deal. I guess maybe aside from prospects or or really young pieces that they want to hold on to for the future, but there's a lot of guys who are either on expiring contracts and then a couple of guys who are going to expire the following season. And that makes the Sharks a a team that you could probably look at and talk about a few different guys with, if you call Mike Greer. So I do believe that Chris Jury is having some conversations with him. I do believe that the Rangers have spent some time scouting the Sharks. So there's Mm -hmm. definitely a possibility. there. Yeah. Yeah. So I've heard that as well. So now it's a matter of do the pieces fit. And again, I think the most appealing thing for me when I look at the Sharks is that you could probably bargain shop a little bit there as opposed to some of the other places, whether you're talking about the Ducks, whether you're talking about the Ottawa Senators, if you're looking like a a guy like Vladimir Tarasenko, if you're looking at the Seattle Kraken and some of the pieces I think the Rangers might be interested in there, pretty much any of those deals are going to cost you in the range of a first-round pick, whereas Mm -hmm. I think there are probably deals to be had with the Sharks that won't cost you a first-round pick, and and that would be the main reason I would think there's a potential, at least, for a deal there. All right, Shang, I appreciate the time. I got to get running because I got to get to Madison Square Garden for a game (laughs) in a little while. Uh, I hope this helps you. It definitely helped me, and I'm I'm sure we'll talk again somewhere down the line. Yeah, yeah. Have a safe drive, man. I'll talk to you soon. Welcome back, and thanks again to Shang for coming on today's show. I'm definitely intrigued by the Sharks from the standpoint that I I feel like I probably repeated a couple times now, but just the fact that that could be a little more of bargain shopping for the Rangers, where this is a team that you can look at and say, okay, we're not willing to give up a first-round pick for the likes of the third line, middle six, whatever you want to call it, type of centers that have either been traded or are still rumored to be available. And therefore, we're going to pivot and we're going to try to just add some depth that we feel might have some upside if they're used in the right role. And in that case, I think the Sharks have a handful of guys that we just discussed with Shang who could be of interest. And from what I've heard, and it sounds like Shang has heard the same they are definitely a team that the Rangers have invested some time into scouting. So do with that information what you will. But my list of teams I think the Rangers are most likely to trade with from the list that I published a few weeks ago really hasn't changed all that much. I still think the Sharks are one of the leading contenders. I still think the Ducks are one of the leading contenders. I think the Senators, there's some maybe – Little bits on the radar there, and Vladimir Tarasenko would be the big one, although I'm not sure how likely that is at this point, but that's definitely a name I think they're keeping an eye on. And then among the teams that we're waiting to see, what are they going to do? Are they going to sell? Are they going to stay in the playoff race or not? 
Seattle Kraken and the Nashville Predators are still a couple teams that I think the Rangers would have some interest in pieces there if they were to come available. So maybe we'll get to dissecting a couple of those other teams more in depth in the coming weeks, but we've already now gone through the Ducks a couple weeks ago with Patrick Present, and now we went through the Sharks today with Shang Peng. All right, I'm going to get to our Twitter questions in just a minute, but one quick thing that with all of the talk that I did about the stadium series in the beginning of the show that I should have mentioned and didn't, so I'll mention really quickly now, going into that Thursday night game with the Devils, something to keep an eye on is the status for Artemi Panarin and Jimmy Vesey, who both did not practice on Wednesday. The Rangers are saying it's lower body injury for both of those guys. Quite frankly, I would be surprised if either one didn't play. And we still haven't seen any moves from the Rangers as far as calling somebody up, which obviously they would need to do if one of those guys wasn't going to play. But when I asked Peter Laviolette about it after practice, he was pretty vague. He did not say, oh, it's just maintenance. I'm pretty certain we'll have them back tomorrow. He was like, they're day-to-day. We're going to see. And I tried to follow up and question Do you think that this is something that could potentially keep them out of that Thursday game against the Devils? And again, he said, we'll see. So something to monitor. I do remember early in the third period against the Stars, Panarin blocked a shot with his foot and limped back to the bench. But I looked it up. He took five more shifts after that. He finished the game. So it didn't hinder his ability to get through the rest of that game on Tuesday. And that's why I would be pretty surprised if either... Panarin or VC don't play Thursday, but it is still something that I wanted to mention and that it bears keeping an eye on. All right, let's get to our first question this week, which comes from Maddie Jack, who wrote, does the Johnny Brodzinski signing give you any indication that the Rangers are favoring the right wing position over the third line center? And another question along the same lines that I'll read here comes from Shane, who wrote, Do you view the Brodzinski extension as any indication the jury doesn't feel that he needs a center at the deadline? Or is it more just Brodzinski has proven he can play effective bottom six minutes, so he earned a spot on at least the fourth line in the future? So those two questions were very similar. I figured I'd group them into one and try to address both of them. Another thing that we didn't talk about in the first segment of the show is that Johnny Brodzinski was awarded a two-year contract extension, which he signed Wednesday just before practice. The deal is going to pay him an average annual value of $787,500 a year, so a little bit over the league minimum. And over the course of the two years, that means he's going to make a little bit more than a million and a half. It's also a one-way deal, which is important from a financial perspective. Because that means that whether Brodzinski is in the AHL or the NHL, he's going to be paid the same amount of money. So first and foremost, good for Johnny. Really happy for him. We've talked about this in the past. This is just the kind of guy who it's hard not to pull for because he's genuinely as nice of a person as you're going to meet. And he is a guy who has done things the right way and continue to chase his dream without complaining by just putting his head down and working. He's played 313 career games in the AHL. 
and he had never played more than 35 games in any NHL season. And there was only one season he even did that back in 17-18 with the LA Kings. After that, you look at how many NHL games this guy played, very few most seasons, until this year when, at 30 years old, he finally seems to have broken through. He's up to 37 games played now with the Rangers, and he's been getting better and better for them. We talk about that third-line center role. Well, Brodzinski has given you some food for thought. He has really done a lot to make the Rangers feel like, okay, if we need to use this guy in a pinch or even maybe for more of an extended time, he can play well enough where we can still win some games, which is exactly what they've been doing recently. And that line with him and Kako and Cooley has, for certain games recently, really many games recently, been, I think, the Rangers' best line at five-on-five. I'm not going to certainly put them on the level of the Panarin, Trocek, Lafreniere line. That is still the Rangers' best line at five-on-five, five, hands down. But the Brodzinski line has been very effective for what they're asked to do. They've been chipping in offense almost every game recently. We talked about Kako being on a five-game point streak. Brodzinski has six points in his last eight games. Cooley continues to be effective in that sort of net front presence, gritty role. And we know that he's a guy that's throwing the body around and hammering other teams in the forecheck and those type of things. So that line as a whole has been really effective. And so with all of that, Brodzinski has earned this extension. Now, feel great for him. It was obvious after practice that his teammates feel the same way, just the way that they were treating him today. This is a guy who is extremely well-respected, extremely well-liked in the locker room. And we've talked about everything that his family has been through going on this journey with him where they're living in Hartford and then all of a sudden he gets called to New York and now they're all living in a hotel room in New York, but his wife is still taking his oldest daughter to preschool in Hartford and driving back and forth and making that hellacious commute and just doing all of these things to support him and be there for him. And he's bounced around multiple organizations and multiple AHL teams and all of that. 85 total transactions is now the current number that Johnny Brodzinski has been involved in since he signed his entry-level contract in 2015. So from that standpoint, an incredibly feel-good story, a guy who has grinded and earned it, and it's hard not to feel good about him and, and feel happy for him in a moment like this. And again, from a financial perspective, having the, the one-way contract is big for him and his family. But I will also say this that having the one-way contract does not guarantee him an NHL spot. So while I think that he has absolutely earned a roster spot, and I find it incredibly hard to believe that he won't be on this Rangers roster for the rest of the season and likely the coming seasons now that he has this two-year extension, I think he has very much elevated his status in the organization to now where the Rangers view him as a regular NHL roster player. But what exactly that role is, I don't think anything is cut and dry there. I still believe strongly that the Rangers are shopping around for centers. And whether that ends up being a center who's a clear upgrade over Brodzinski, if that were to happen, then maybe it means he shifts to a wing. Maybe it means he drops down to the fourth line. If the Rangers bring in multiple pieces, it could mean that Brodzinski moves into that 13th forward role. And obviously that would be a hard pill for him to swallow, but this is a guy who does everything 
with a smile on his face and no complaints. And for a guy who has been in the minor leagues for so long, I think having an NHL roster spot is something he's always going to appreciate. So I think what his role is after the deadline depends on what kind of pieces the Rangers are able to acquire and what the prices are for those pieces. Because I think it's at the point now where they don't feel absolutely desperate to add a center who's going to play on their third line. They might end up adding more of a fourth line center. But I do think that one way or another, depth at center is critically important for them. Whether Bradzinski's playing on the third line, whether he's playing on the fourth line, whether he's playing center or wing, LaViolette today called him a multifunctional player because he can move all around the lineup and he can play pretty much all three forward positions, although I think he has a lot more experience on right wing than he does at left wing. But this is a guy who's played a lot of wing in his career. So I don't think that this contract means all of a sudden now the Rangers aren't going to go out and try to get a center. I still believe strongly that they're going to try to do that. But I think now you look at it as a situation where you bring in a center that adds depth because, again, if – any of their current four centers got hurt. Who is next in line? We've talked about this before. Does that mean you're calling up Jake LeCision to play center? Does that mean you're trusting a very unproven rookie like Matt Rempe to play center? I think that that's asking a lot. So I think they need a center for injury protection, and they need a center to sort of add some different looks and different competition into the mix there. Ideally, I do still believe it's somebody who surplants Brodzinski as the third line center, and that allows Brodzinski to move into a different spot. And again, if ultimately he ends up being the 13th forward, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for the Rangers. And I think part of the reason that they gave him this contract is because they view him as a guy who, if he's your 13th forward, you're probably in a really good spot because you trust him. You have faith in him. If you have to insert him at any moment and he gives you a lot of valuable depth from that perspective, but he's not a guy that I think you're going to feel beholden to. He has to be in the lineup. There's no doubt about it. No matter who we bring in, this guy's absolutely going to be in there. I think it would be very difficult to pull him out right now, given how well he's been playing. But this is a guy who you know is going to put the team first. This is a guy who you know brings a very selfless attitude. And so for all those reasons, and because he's proven that he can be an impact player, and because of his versatility, and because of his leadership skills, and how well-liked he is in that locker room, that adds up to this contract, in my mind, being a no-brainer for the Rangers. It was a very smart move, I think, to sign him and secure that depth for the next few years. It's very likely he will be on the NHL roster for the rest of this season and the next couple coming seasons, but... I don't think anything here is guaranteed just because he got that contract extension. The Rangers are still going to be in the market to improve the team. And depending on who they bring in, that will dictate what role Brodzinski ends up in. But for now, him playing as your third line center, he's proven that he can do it. So so that is a very good thing. That is something that they have to feel good about. It just doesn't mean that they can't also simultaneously be shopping around and trying to add more depth to this roster because I do believe strongly that the forward group in particular still needs more depth. And the good news is Brodzinski can do a lot of different things, whether it's third-line center, fourth-line center, wing, or even 13th forward. All of those roles are valuable roles to have him in. All right. Let's get to our next question. This one comes from Brett S., who wrote, 
So Brooks and you recently mentioned Weinberg as a trade target. I also heard Lawton's name out there. How can Drury justify trading a first rounder for these guys? It seems like an ugly price for ordinary players with questionable metrics. So yes, on Weinberg, Alex Weinberg, I know you're talking about center for the Seattle Kraken. I've mentioned his name in a few stories in the last couple months, including the most recent one previewing the trade deadline that I wrote a couple weeks ago. I do believe that when we talk about that Seattle Kraken roster, which I think has a few appealing options on it, that Weinberg is definitely one of the names that the Rangers would have some interest in if he were to come available. Again, for me, the question with the Kraken is always going to come back to, are they actually sellers? I'm going to pull up the NHL standings right now because the Kraken are very much within striking distance. Right now, if you look at the Western Conference, they are three points out of the final wildcard spot. So, It's getting pretty bunched up in there. Right now, you've got St. Louis and Nashville tied for that second spot at 60 points. Then you've got the Wild at 58 points. And then you've got the Kraken and the Flames tied at 57 points. So it's really bunched up in there. At least one or two of those teams you would have to think is going to have to fall out of it. And maybe by the time we get to the trade deadline in a couple weeks, they will decide to be sellers. But it's a question mark right now. As I've said before on the podcast, as I've written before, and I'll say it again now, you look at that Seattle Kraken roster, and to me, it might be the most appealing roster of the ones that we've talked about where there would potentially be a fit with the Rangers if they were willing to trade some of these guys. You've got Weinberg, who very much fits the mold of the type of center I think the Rangers would value in a third-line role, has some skill has some proven point production, I think would clearly be an upgrade when we talk about looking at guys against Brodzinski. But he also has that two-way skill set where he's one of their top penalty killers in Seattle. He's a guy that plays that 200-foot game, that playoff type of game, solid defensive forward, which you know Chris Drury and Peter Laviolette and the Rangers value a lot. So I think ideally that's a guy or the type of guy that they would like to get. Similar to an Adam Henrique, who we've talked about before, but I think Weinberg is probably a better skater, which would give him a leg up, but Henrique is probably more of a proven player offensively, which might give him a little bit of a leg up. Now, the question is, what is Seattle asking for Weinberg? Because much like we said about with Henrique, I don't think the Rangers are willing to give up a first-round pick for a center like that. This isn't Elias Lindholm. These are guys that are considered a notch, maybe even two notches below that. And so for that price tag, I think you're talking more like second round pick and a prospect or at most a conditional second round pick that would elevate to a first if the Rangers were to reach X point in the playoffs. So Weinberg is a guy that I think is definitely on their radar. It's just a question of A, are the Kraken selling and B, what is the price? But again, you look at that Kraken roster even more. Jordan Eberle is a guy that the Rangers, I think, could have some interest in at right wing. He's a guy on an expiring contract, although at $5.5 million, they would certainly need the Kraken to eat some of that in exchange. We've talked about Yanni Gord 
He's another center who fits that two-way mold and, and is much more proven, I think, than even Weinberg in the playoffs and would have a lot of appeal for the Rangers. It's a little trickier for him from a contract standpoint because he's at $5.1 million for next season. So it's a matter of are the Rangers willing to take on that much money for not just this season but next season as well? It's not out of the realm of possibility, but it would probably cost you even more to get a guy like that because of the extra year of team control. And then another under-the-radar guy that I've mentioned from Seattle who would be probably the cheapest of all these options that we've talked about is Tomas Tatar, who would definitely help them fill that right-wing void, is a guy that has proven he's capable of playing in the top six, and he's only at $1.5 million. And this is a really strong analytical player if you look at his history. So Seattle, again, I think you could pick a few guys that you would target off of that roster. Weinberg probably makes the most sense because he's a center and because he's an expiring contract. But Brett, I don't know where you got first round pick from on that. I think that would be a stretch. Again, maybe a conditional type of thing is where I could see the Rangers convincing themselves to go on a player like that. But it's really going to come down to, is Seattle willing to do it? Or are they still trying to get themselves back into that playoff race? As for Scott Lawton from the Philadelphia Flyers, I'm not sure I've seen as much smoke there as far as believing the Rangers are really interested in that player. But I think the Rangers are probably keeping tabs on pretty much any center who might potentially be available right now. But for me, Weinberg kind of fits the mold of what they're looking for and makes a little bit more sense than Lawton at this point. I'm trying to look up right now. What is Lawton's contract? Because I do not know off the top of my head. Philly is a weird team because they are very firmly in playoff contention right now. They, they look like they are heading toward the playoffs unless they really fall off in the next couple of months, even though they've, I think, arrived ahead of schedule as far as everybody else would be concerned. But they are very much in this rebuilding mode as well where they're trying to collect future assets. So I've heard that they might be a team that tries to toe that line where they do a little bit of buying and they do a little bit of selling at the same time. But I'm still not having a great read on them as far as exactly what they're going to do because it's tough to walk into the locker room and sell off pieces when your team has played its well firmly into playoff position. They're not like the Kraken where they're three points out and have a mountain to climb to get in there. They're in the race right now. They are in the playoff position. They're like the fifth or sixth best team in the East right now. So I'm not so sure about them selling. Lawton is $3 million for each of the next three seasons. So his contract runs through 2026. That to me, even though the number at $3 million is very manageable for the Rangers, that might be a little bit more than they're trying to bite off at this point. I, I don't know for sure. It's possible they could have some interest because of his ability to play center because the price tag is pretty low there. But between not really knowing if the Flyers are, are going to be selling very much at this deadline, and he's not a name that I, at least from talking to different people, have heard as far as the Rangers being interested in, he wouldn't be high on my list of guys. But again, anybody who can play center and might be available, I'm sure they're keeping some kind of tabs on them. But the first round thing, we've talked about this. The Rangers, from what I wrote a few weeks ago and what I'm still hearing, they have been disenchanted with how high the price tags have been specifically on centers in this current market. It seems like every team that has a center for sale 
is asking for a first round pick. And that's been a deterrent. And for that reason, it wouldn't shock me in the slightest if the Rangers end up going down the road of bargain hunting, maybe going for names that we're not talking about, or maybe looking at a roster like the San Jose Sharks and going after a guy who might not be the sexiest name out there, might not be a surefire guy who's going to play on their third line, but would at least give them some depth and give them some options and come with a much cheaper price tag. I think that's a possibility that that everybody needs to brace for as well if they aren't willing to get those center prices down to a, a, an area where they at least feel like they can stomach it. Because I think throwing first-round picks for the likes of Scott Lawton, I'm not sure that that's a road that the Rangers are trying to go down. In fact, I have very serious doubts that they would be willing to do that. All right, final question for the week comes from Babushka Igor who wrote, do you have a sense what Lavi means by giving Kako more ice time? It's clear the third line is kicking, but they're playing more fourth line minutes a night. Are we going to see that line on ice more or would Kako get moved around? So what Babushka here is referring to is that after the win over Dallas on Tuesday night, LaViolette, unprompted, was talking about how Kako... He was asked about Kako, I should say, but unprompted, he brought up, I got to get him more ice time. I'm not playing him enough. That's on me because Kako only played about 12 minutes in that game. And again, he's been riding high, I think very noticeable. One of the Rangers' most effective five-on-five forwards in these last five, six, seven, eight games. And so clearly, I think the Rangers should be trying to find ways to use him more. That goal he scored against Dallas was in a four on four situation where both teams had taken a penalty. So it was encouraging to see him out there in that kind of a situation. And that game got a little wonky because there was a lot of penalties, especially in the second period. So that's always going to reduce his ice time because he's not on the top power play unit and he doesn't kill penalties for the Rangers at this point. But for me, what I think he's going to do and what he meant by that is a, yes, I do think he's going to try to, give that Brodzinski kako Cooley line a little bit more ice time, a few more shifts a game, and the fewer penalties that happen, the more I think he'll be able to do that. And B, I think the other thing that you're going to see him do is I do think that on nights when he feels like Kako is going well, and he did this a little bit at the end of the game against the Islanders on Sunday, he is going to pick some shifts to swap Kako onto the top line. Right now, with Blake Wheeler out for what sounds like at least the rest of the regular season and probably the rest of the playoffs. That's another thing I feel like we barely even talked about on this week's episode. It feels like forever ago that that happened, but Wheeler getting injured and lost for the season certainly adds to the importance of Kako right now, which is another topic that I wrote about in that story about Kako the other day. But I think now that Jimmy Vesey is playing in that top line right wing spot with Kreider and Zibanejad, you're going to see moments where maybe LaViolette decides, all right, I'm going to give Kako an extra shift here in this period or at this point in the game. So that's another way where I think he could find him probably a couple extra shifts a game and maybe make that ice time tick up a little bit. But I still don't think if Kako's in that third line that you're going to see him playing 16, 17, 18 minutes a night a lot. But if you can get him up more toward 13, 14, 15 minutes a night, I think given the way he's playing recently, that would be 
the way to try to go. That would be a nice little sweet spot for him at this point. 11, 12 minutes a night is not quite enough. So I think Laviolette is acknowledging that. He publicly acknowledged that after the game on Tuesday, and now we'll see what he does with it. But I don't think it means you're going to see Kako on the top power play unit or anything like that. I don't think it means you're going to start seeing him on the penalty kill. I think it means Laviolette wants to get that third line a few more shifts a game. And I think it means you might see occasional spots where he moves Kako up onto that first line for a shift here or there. And if it's going well, then maybe he rolls with it a little bit. But I do think he's going to pick his spots to throw Kako out there with Kreider and Zabanajad. All right. With that, we are going to end this week's episode. What a doozy that was because we just had so many different topics to cover between the stadium series and the trade deadline and the Brodzinski signing and all of these different questions and just a lot of different stuff going on right now. So I am going to regroup and try to get my head in order. I feel like it's in a little bit of a pretzel right now, but a nice little relaxing night with the family should help that. I will give you guys a quick Heads up for the weekend. I will be covering Thursday's game in Jersey against the Devils. And then I'm going to be checking out for a few days. I'm actually flying to Florida on Friday morning. One of my best friends from college is getting married in the Jacksonville area. So spending a couple nights down there for the wedding. Actually going to be playing golf on the morning of his wedding. I His choice, not mine. I mean, I feel like that's a pretty bold move to try to sneak in a full 18 and then get married later in the day, but I'm all for it if he wants to try it. So I'm going to be checked out for the weekend as far as the Rangers stuff is concerned. I will not be covering the games in Philly or Columbus, but I'll be back on Monday. So only really going to be off the grid for those two days. And then we'll be back next week with a fresh podcast. So thank you to everybody who submitted questions. Thank you to Shang Pang for coming on the show this week, and I will talk to you guys next week.